you know, we're, we're really appreciative of you guys. We really just enjoy serving alongside you guys and just serving God here in Denver together. And so thanks again on behalf of all of us for that. So this morning, um, I thought I'd start off. I know I think I do this a lot when I teach, but I'd like to show you a few pictures of my kid. He's a pretty cute one. At least I think so. So that's a picture of him in the bathtub. Oh, oh. Oh, there, oh. <laughs> and then there's another one. Ooh, my little Broncos fan. He likes to wear that during the games. Working on catching the football. I know he's kind of young for that, but he, he, he's good at tackling the football, but he hasn't quite figured out he's supposed to tackle the person and not the football yet. And then this is one of Grace's personal favorites lately. Um, she was feeding him, and he was happy when he was being fed, but then as soon as he didn't have a spoon coming towards him, he made a nice, cute little face there. So... <laughs> Um, it's just been a lot of fun lately getting to, getting to see his personality grow as he gets a little older. I think his favorite game right now is peekaboo. I don't know how many of you guys have kids, but you're probably past that stage. Uh, I'll jump behind something and jump out and say peekaboo, and he just like looks at me and then just cracks up laughing. And then I disappear, and he just sits there and waits until I come back. And so if I go somewhere else and pop out, he's just still looking at that other spot waiting for me to pop back out, and then he'll finally see me. Um, I think one of the funnest places that it happens actually is gassing up the car. Which is kind of interesting because he faces backwards. He's still too young to be facing forward. So he faces backward right out the back window. And I'll be filling up the car and I'll just drop. And then I'll pop up and he'll start giggling and laughing. And I, I haven't heard the laugh because he's inside the car. But from what Grace tells me, it's pretty hilarious. He, he, he laughs pretty, pretty hard. So um, it's just been a lot of fun getting to see him. Another thing that he started doing recently, and I know he's way behind the Marines little girl there, even though he's older, <laughs> is crawling. He started to army crawl. But he hasn't quite figured it out. What, he'll, he'll put one arm out there in front and he'll grab it and he'll pull himself with that arm. <laughs> and then he'll put his arm out and he'll pull himself with that arm. He, you put him up on his knees, he kind of just wobbles, wiggles around, and then he sees something, he drops his belly and arm and crawls over there. So either, either he's going to figure that out sometime soon or he's going to be massively strong in his upper body. He's just going to be like picking up things, carrying them around with just his upper body. He'll have like little tiny legs and a huge upper arm. So... Hopefully he figures that out sometime soon. I, I, I bet he will. But All right, so on to this morning. So Acts. We've been teaching through the book of Acts. Rich, over the last several weeks, has started the book of Acts. He shared from Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1, we saw that Jesus was taken up to heaven. Right there at the very beginning in the first seven or eight verses, he's taken up to heaven. And he gave, us, he gave his final message, his final command to us. Was, he says this, he says, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So as you can see, our, our title there is To the Ends of the Earth. That's what, what we're going to call this act series, is To the Ends of the Earth. Then he went on in chapter 2, and we learned more about the Holy Spirit and what God called believers to in the church and what the church was. He, he called the church people to be devoted to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. It says there at the end of Acts 2 that they spent time together, that they, they were um, sharing their possessions with each other and they ate together. And if you haven't, if you've been to our Wednesday nights, you kind of notice that that's what we've patterned our Wednesday nights after. We eat together once a month. We spend time in prayer together. We have teachings during those times. We break bread together every Wednesday at our house churches. And so these are all things that God called that early church to and that He's still calling us to today. That, that message hasn't changed at all. But this morning we're going to take a look at chap- Acts chapter 3. And we're going to break it into two different sections. We're going to break it into the first ten verses and then the rest of the verses. But I'd like to frame that whole chapter with these four words. And it's Jesus is the answer. 
I want you to look at this Acts 3 and when we're talking about it and think about that, that Jesus is the answer. I want you to remember something, though, whether we're reading through Acts 3 this morning or you're having quiet times at home and you're reading the Bible. Some people out there in the world would say that the Bible is full of good stories. They'd say it's just a good book full of good stories. You know, there's the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Ark and um, Noah and the Ark and Samson and Delilah and David and Goliath and the birth of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, along with a lot more stories. Jonah and the whale, there's a bunch of them out there. But I'd like to challenge you on thinking about it as just a book full of good stories. It's not just good stories, but it's a book full of history. These things actually happened. These aren't just fairy tales. These aren't things that, you know, that someone made up and wrote down. These things happened. This book is full of history, and we need to look at it that way. So if we look at chapter 3 again, think about these things. God had these things happen for a purpose, and they were written down for us to read some 2,000 years later for a reason. But before we jump in and look at Acts chapter 3, let's pray. Let's just pray and ask God to bless our time here this morning. Well, God, we, we praise you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who's given us a mission. God, we thank you that you are here for us. God, that you want us to be seeking you. God, that you want us to be turning to you and seeking you for strength and seeking you for wisdom and seeking you for where we should go and the decisions we should make. God, help us to realize how important Jesus is. God, that he is the answer. God, you've given him to us and he is the answer to our problems. God, he's the answer to everything out there. God, help us to learn that. Help us to see that this morning through what Peter did nearly 2,000 years ago and the message he shared. God, help us just to really really just listen to you this morning. God, help us to open our hearts. Help us to learn something this morning that maybe we've never learned out of Acts chapter 3. Help us to think of you differently and to think of Christ differently when we leave here this morning. God, we just ask these things and pray that you would bless this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read through Acts chapter 3. If everybody grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can pass them around. If you're going to need one, it's on page 1079. So you guys would turn there with me. We're just going to read, like I said, we're going to break this into two different sections. I have a, a couple points I'm going to make on the first ten verses and then some points on the, on the second part. But we'll start in Acts chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 10 here together. It says this, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I think we could easily get caught up in the miracle that happens here. You know, something amazing where you see a guy that's been crippled and he just can walk. But something much more amazing was done here. Let's take a look at at some of the things surrounding this miracle. Pull this miracle apart a little. So we look at this man. It says this man, he was a crippled man and he was crippled from birth. That's crippled for a long time. That's not just, 
you were normal, and then all of a sudden you, you couldn't walk anymore. This, this person was crippled from birth. And it says he was a man, so he was older. He wasn't just a little kid. He was a man. He'd been crippled for a very long time. He was probably a community icon, if, we look at, if we're looking at this. It said that he had people helping carry him. I don't know if you guys, if you've seen beggars around the streets or anything, they usually are by themselves. They're not usually having people carry them places or take them different places. So just that fact that he had people helping him get places meant he was probably a pretty prominent figure in that time, pretty prominent among the beggars. There were a lot of different beggars at the time, and yet he had a place right by the temple gate, a place that would be seen by all the people going into the temple to, to pray and things like that in the temple courts. It also says in verse 10, down there at the bottom, it says that many people recognized him. So it seems that he'd been there for a long time, and just everyone, everyone around there knew exactly who this guy was. In fact, think about Peter and John. They were going to the temple courts often. They probably saw him a lot before. This probably wasn't the first time that they'd seen this guy or noticed this guy. Who knows, even sometime earlier in the day or earlier in the month or earlier in the year, they'd probably even given him a little gold or a little silver out of their pocket that they'd had extra left over. And I really like the way that, that they went about doing this, about telling him that they were, they were going to give him something much better than gold and silver. That's, that beggar was probably going, oh, all right, these guys called me out. I'm going to get food or I'm going to get some silver and gold today. But it was just different the way they went about it. I've prayed a lot for people before. I've prayed a lot for people with different things in their life, for diseases, for um, colds, for sicknesses. In fact, just on Wednesday night, we prayed for a lady in our, our house church that just found out she had breast cancer. We prayed that God would do a miraculous thing and that he would heal this lady. I think if it was, you know, I think that if Peter and John was in this situation, they probably would have, if they were doing it on their own and they weren't trusting God, they probably would have tried to do something a lot different than they did. I could just see them. They were probably, you know, they probably would have tried to hide behind a bush and see the guy and been praying together. God, oh, please heal that guy over there. Heal that guy by the gate. Make him walk. But they didn't. They did it very much different. They just told him to walk. I think we can learn a couple big lessons from this. The first one is that Peter had amazing faith in what God told him. Peter didn't doubt God's grace and his power at all. He got the man's attention and he told the man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth to walk. Now this is the same Peter, if you remember, earlier when Jesus was being led to his death uh, eventually. He denied him three times. He disowned him. He said, I don't know that man. Yet now, I think he was figuring out exactly how powerful God was. I think that was a crucial step in Peter recognizing exactly what God can do and how powerful he is. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that man could be healed. Peter had no doubt in his mind that that man could just stand up and start walking. And he was. I think it's amazing here to notice that, that how the man was healed as well. He didn't just, you know, oh, he's going to be healed. And then over the next three months, he started to, oh, he could put a little weight on his legs. And then he could start to kind of make one step. And then he got too tired and he couldn't take another step. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen people who even have like ACL surgeries or MCL surgeries when they're not using their leg for two or three weeks at a time. It atrophies. There's no muscle there at all, and it, it, it shrinks the muscle a ton. So imagine this guy who's never used his legs ever, not having any strength in those legs. Now, a, a little story about the same thing. We can go back to my son. Like I shared at the beginning, Caleb has slowly been learning to move around. Slowly is the key word there. Started with some rolling. He'd roll from his, you know, he'd roll from his front to his back. He'd roll from his back to his front. Then he'd start to reach a little. You could see he wanted to get something, but he couldn't quite get there. He'd try his hardest, but he couldn't reach it. Now he's found this cool way of army crawling by pulling himself with his one arm. 
but he still has a lot further to go. He's got to eventually get strength to get up on his knees and to get up on his hands and be able to rock there and, and then move forward from that and move backward from that. He has to learn to pull himself up on things, on the table, get up and get his balance. Right now he gets up and he does the Elvis hips. He kind of woggles and wiggles around and he doesn't have the, the coordination or the strength to balance to keep his weight centered over his feet. After that, he has to learn to stand there without even holding on to anything and keep his balance. And then he has to, after that, learn to move one foot in front of the other. All of these things take coordination. They take learning. Yet what I think is really interesting here is that man had never done any of those things. That man had never crawled. That man had never stood on a table and held onto it. Yet he jumped right to his feet and began running around like he'd done it a hundred times. It's an amazing display of God's power and His mercy. And all the people, it says all the people there were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to the man. Imagine seeing someone that you've known, that you've known for his whole life, and he's crippled, and you just see him jump up and start running around. It, it takes a lot. I don't think we realize how big of a miracle, how much power that takes for something like that to happen. But Peter knew. Peter had faith, and he, he knew that, um, that what God had told him would be true, and he believed that. Second thing I think we can learn is that Peter knew what he didn't have. Peter knew that he didn't have any money. <laughs> he didn't try and say, oh, well, I'll give you something tomorrow or whatever. He knew he didn't have the money to do it. He knew that he himself also could do nothing for that man. He couldn't heal that man. He couldn't touch him. He couldn't give him any special thing in himself to heal that man. He also knew that he had Jesus in him. He was confident in his answer to the crippled man. He didn't say, you know, oh, uh, try and stand up and try and walk. He said, walk. That's all he said. This is good for us to remember as well. I think there's multiple decisions we make throughout our lives, every day, every week, where we try and make it on our own. We try and use that strength that we have. Oh, well, if I just work this hard, I can, I can do this thing. I can accomplish this. If I just make this decision and I get these couple people to help me, I can do this. And so we get so focused on ourselves, we forget to look to God and what God has to say and the answers that He can give us and the wisdom that He can give us. We and ourselves are an expression of the power of Jesus Christ. And He is the answer, like we said at the beginning, for everything. I have a question here for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer for every single big question in life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that deep down in you, in your core? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to death? That He's the answer to the question of any need that you have? That He's the answer to the feelings of being desired by another or being desired wherever you may be? Big questions in our life are always urgent. They are always urgent. It seems like every time a big decision comes up, we have to make it, and we have to make it quickly. Every time that we have big questions, is Jesus the answer? Is that who you look to? Do you look to the Bible and what Jesus has to say? Or do you look somewhere else? I think in our culture today, 99% of the people, even, even Christians included in that, look somewhere else. Maybe they're struggling with thoughts or things going on in their life, and they look to a worldly counselor. They go, oh, this person's wise. They've studied this forever. I'm going to go to them. Or maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe you're having problems with your finances, and so you go to that financial guy. And I'm not saying these things are wrong, but we have an answer here in the Bible. We have an answer in prayer that's so much more powerful than any of those things can be. And we need to look there. We need to look there first. Peter knew that, and we see that in this miracle. He looked there. He looked to Jesus. And God used him to do many, many things for his kingdom. This, I mean, he shared the gospel multiple times, and thousands of people got saved because he knew 
the power of Christ, and he knew that he couldn't do it himself, but he trusted God and his strength there. So that's the first couple of verses. Let's look at the rest of it now. Flip back into your Bible. Turn the page there. We'll read verses 11 through 26. So verse 11, it says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but raised God, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By the faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you, are, whom you see and now was, and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfills what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through, the holy, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This section of scripture, scripture answers some of the deepest issues, some of the deepest questions in human life. And it does it with clarity and with vigor. Yet it's very simple. It's not 20 pages. It's very simple. It's, it's a handful of paragraphs. It's a message that has a, had a global impact up to today. We need to look at the content of what Peter's saying here. If you remember, that this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times right before he was led to his death. I really like Peter's boldness here. I know I shared several weeks ago on boldness. This is boldness. I can't imagine going into a crowd and saying what Peter said to these people. He didn't tiptoe around the issues. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, well, you know, by what you guys kind of did, you kind of killed God. <laughs> you know, he didn't. He just came right out and he told it like it was. He made it very clear that the people had disowned the Holy and Righteous One and that they had killed the very author of life itself. Could you imagine being in that crowd of people, being addressed by Peter? I wonder how many of them realized for the first time what they had actually done, that they had actually killed God in the flesh. I, I mean, they probably felt that tall. <laughs> they were probably like, oh my goodness, what did we do? I didn't even realize that that's what we did. But then Peter changes his tone, and I like this too. Peter changes his tone to one of grace and gentleness. He tells them that he knows that their leaders and they acted in ignorance. But he tells them that that had to happen, that because of prophecy in the Old Testament, that had to happen, that Jesus had to be led to his death and crucified for, for God. That's what God had set apart from the beginning. 
he tells them um, that, oh, wait a minute. Sorry about that. He tells them that, they, that their leaders had acted in ignorance, but then he boldly called them to repent. He boldly called them to repent. And he told them that if they did, that they turned, that times of refreshing would come for them. He said, if you repent, if you repent of what you've done, and you repent of your sin, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Peter used that, that the story in the beginning, that uh, the healing of the crippled beggar, and then at the beginning of this, and then this story, to share the gospel with a lot, a lot of people. He knew the power of Christ, and he was unashamed. He wasn't ashamed at all to share it with all the people around him. Let's take a look at four specific ways that I think Peter was Christ-centered in his approach that we can see from this chunk of scripture here. First of all, I think he was, he was Christ-centered in his definition of what real power is. If we look again at verse 12. It says, When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? When the crippled man was healed, Peter and John both knew that there was nothing they had done to heal that man. They knew that God had all the power and that God had amazing power. And that's pretty amazing power to heal someone who'd been crippled from death. And so he had a, they had, both Peter and John had a very Christ-centered definition of what real power was. It didn't depend on anything they could do, but on what God could do. Second thing I think we see is Peter's Christ-centered definition of God and who God is. If we look at verse 14, verses 14 through 16, again it says, You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. In these verses, Peter makes it really clear that God and Jesus are very closely linked. He shares that it was God who raised Christ from the dead. They knew this because they'd seen it. A lot of these guys were there when it happened. They had seen him walking around three days later. How amazing would that have been to be there? To see this guy die, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt he is dead. And three days later you see him walking around talking to people. All of these people heard the stories and probably even saw it. And if they still didn't believe, they were still not believing that that Jesus was God in the flesh. Peter was making it very clear that it was sin to deny Jesus, that it was sin to deny what had happened, and it was rebellion towards God to do so. third thing we see is that Peter had a very Christ-centered definition of repentance and salvation. Verse 19, he says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter tells the people that they need to repent. He says that very clearly in that verse, that they need to repent and turn to God. Essentially, he was telling them they needed to have a change of mind. They needed to have a change of mind about who this Jesus Christ was. They needed to realize that he was the Son of God, and that by having faith in him, their sins would be wiped out. It says that they would be wiped out, and that they would be refreshed. This was the only true salvation. Salvation, kind of a churchy word, but very simply, it just means to have deliverance from the power and effects of sin. The only way that people could hope to escape the effects of sin was through repenting of their sins and believing in this man, Jesus Christ. And the last one was in his definition of blessing. Peter had a very Christ-centered definition when it came to to blessing. We see that again if we look at the last two verses in this chapter. Verses 25 and 26, it says, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, 
through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We see that he had a very Christ-centered definition. Peter shared that verse, that verse that's in um, verse 25 there. That actually comes out of Genesis chapter 22, which most of those people at the time probably knew. They'd probably heard it before. He said that through Abraham's offspring, everyone would be blessed. All the people would be blessed. He shared that Christ was that person. Christ was that person that would bless them. He would bless them by turning them from their wicked ways. Now, that's an interesting blessing. Sometimes I don't know if we think that's a blessing. But how many of you um, step into sin thinking it will make you feel better? Making you think that it makes you think that you'll have some kind of relief if you, if you do that sin. For example, maybe, maybe for some of you it's getting really angry. I, I can get really angry sometimes. Uh, it's not a good thing. But we get really angry. Something has frustrated us and we start yelling. We just break out and maybe it's towards our wife or our husband or our kids or our roommates. But we just start yelling. We're just like, ah, oh, I'm done. I don't want to have any more with this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. We break out and we, we get angry and we say things we shouldn't say. And we think, for some reason at the time, that it'll make us feel better. If we just get this off our chest, we'll, we'll feel better. We'll have it out there and everyone will know and I can just move on. But it's not true. Maybe in there's some other situations. Maybe, maybe it's pornography or, or impure thoughts. You, you go into it thinking, oh, this will make me feel more desired. I'll feel more desired. I'll... I'll, I'll feel better. But in the end, it always makes you feel worse. Every time. Every time, sin makes us feel worse. No matter how we trick ourselves into it, thinking it's going to make us feel better, it doesn't. In both situations, we end up feeling worse. We end up feeling guilty, and we wish we'd never done it in the first place. Do we really think that we would find relief in sin? It cannot, and it will not happen. This is how we are truly blessed by Christ. He says right there he was sent to bless us by turning us from our wicked ways. Wicked and evil ways. Only through him can we experience true blessing. Can we be blessed and not have to deal with those feelings after we sin. Because Christ is there to turn us from those wicked ways. This miracle and this teaching by Peter, this miracle that we went through in the first ten verses and then this teaching by Peter, has changed the world. Not only did people get saved and turn their lives over to Christ 2,000 years ago, but people are still doing the same thing today because of these, this, these messages. So what does this message shared nearly 2,000 years ago mean for us? What can we take from this? Some things in the world have ch- changed since 2,000 years ago, and some have not. Some practical things you can think of, there's bigger cities. There's a lot more people on our planet. There's running water, there's electricity, there's telephones, there's cell phones, there's cars, there's trucks, there's buses, there's computers, there's robots, there's space shuttles, there's satellites, there's high-rise buildings, there's bigger churches, nicer churches for places to meet, there's golf courses. (laughs) Our world has changed in so many ways. I could probably go on all day giving you examples of things that have changed from 2,000 years ago. But that's not what's important. What is important is that the gospel message has not changed at all. If there's one thing that we need to cling to, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we do that, our world will change. And I'm not talking about physical change. I'm talking about spiritual change. Our world will change spiritually. More people will get saved, more people will have eternal life, and less people will be going to hell. 
Wickedness and sin aren't refreshing. No matter what we think, in the end, it just degrades us and makes us feel worse. Again, I want you to remember the four words. I want you to remember these four words. Jesus is the answer. And I want to leave you with one final question. Where do you stand on the issue of Jesus Christ? Again, where do you stand on the issue of Jesus Christ? If you haven't made a decision to follow Him, if you haven't made that choice in your life, don't wait any longer. Listen to what Peter so passionately shared. He shared it passionately. He called the people out and told them they were the ones that killed God in the flesh. But he told them, hey, there's hope. Turn, repent. Turn to Christ. He'll give you refreshing. He will refresh you. He will turn you. He will bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. So listen to what Peter had to share. Repent and turn to God today. Christ is the only one who can bless you and turn your life around. Let's pray. Well, God, we we thank you for Acts. God, we thank you for giving us your words. God, we thank you that you have such passionate words for us. God, you desire so much for us to, to be in relationship with you and to understand you. God, you used Peter 2,000 years ago to call out the men and women who were just stuck in their sin, who were just following the group. They were just along. I bet you a bunch of those people, when they were calling out to crucify them, didn't even know what they were doing. Didn't even think about it. They were just going along with the crowd. Just being one of the, one of the group. God, help us not to be one of the group. God, help us to stand out. God, help us to be bold. God, help us to be like Peter. Help us to challenge our friends, our coworkers. Our classmates, God, help us to be bold and share truth. God, to share exactly what you've done for us. God, it's an amazing message. God, you love us so much. God, you desire to turn us from our evil ways. You, you desire for us not to feel those effects of sin, the guilt. God, you desire for us just to know you and to love you and, and to have an amazing future and a hope. God, help us to, to really just share this message and ourselves believe it. God, help us to believe it to the core, just like Peter and John did. God, they, they believed to the core that you could do amazing things. That you could make a crippled man who'd never walked before in his life walk. God, help us to have faith like that. Help us to believe that you will do exactly what you say you will do in your word. God, help us to take your promises to the bank. Help us to just believe on them and know that, that you have never broken a single promise and you will follow through on your promises. God, help us to just continue in that and to continue to grow in it and continue to understand it more and more. God, even as we go through more of Acts here, God, help us to look at it and apply it to our lives today. As we read the whole Bible in our quiet times, God, help us to realize that it's history. These things happen. God, and you can, you can do amazing things through our life. God, again, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for just a chance to be here together as believers, to have coffee together, to fellowship together. God, help us to grow. God, we desire wisdom. God, we desire to be wiser tomorrow than we were today. God, help us to learn from your word. God, we just thank you for it. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks for coming this morning, guys. Come back next week. Brad is going to share on Acts chapter 4. Hopefully it's not like Ephesians chapter 4 or something. He'll get the right chapter this time. (laughs) Thanks for coming and have a great afternoon, guys.